If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On today's Sports Day Tampa Bay, we're going to be joined by Ray's beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, Mark Topkin. He and I had a conversation yesterday prior to the first game of the Milwaukee series where we discuss everything from the defensive woes and the base running woes of this Rays team to just how incredible the pitching's been, how some of the injured guys are coming along, and what can be done with some of the hitting as well, and Willie Adamas' return to the Trop, and what he's meant to this franchise, what he's meant to the Brewers, and how that trade is the quintessential win-win for both franchises. Before we get to Mark, don't suffer this summer with an old AC system. Call our friends, the experts at Air Rescue. Air Rescue offers superior service at unbeatable prices. Your air conditioning unit will perform 30% better and last longer with regular maintenance from Air Rescue. Their award-winning team delivers 24-7 emergency service if needed. 100% satisfaction guaranteed for all residential installation and repairs. They're family-owned with over 75 years in the business. Air Rescue offers 100% financing, affordable payments, a very easy application process with no administration, bank fees, or extra cost with financing. Call them at 813-612-5600 or go to airrescueflorida.com for the air conditioning experts, Air Rescue. That's 813-612-5600. Air Rescue. All right, we're joined by Tampa Bay Times Rays beat writer Mark Topkin here as the Rays are getting set to finish up their series with the Brewers this afternoon. And in full disclosure, we are taping this before game one of that series. So a quick uh, two-game series with the Brewers, a good team, and a lot of former Rays in town for this series, uh, Mark. Willie Adamas, among many others, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Willie Adamas, uh, maybe the most beloved player, at least in recent Rays history. And, uh, you know, talking to some of the guys, and they were, we're looking very much forward to seeing him again. Um, look, he was... He was traded as part of a two-step move. They traded him initially last May, and they brought Taylor Walls up. But we all knew at some point Wander Franco was coming up, and that was the opportunity they thought at that point to pull the trigger and get something back of value for Willie Adamas, which you could certainly argue they did. I mean, Drew Rasmussen, until he got hurt, was was maybe a notch below uh, Shane McClanahan as the best raised starting pitcher of the season. And J.P. Fireisen, until he got hurt, was arguably the best high leverage reliever they had certainly when Andrew Kitchens started having some issues. So they got a great return for Willie Adamas, but the, the love for Willie Adamas in that clubhouse and, and still today, or just this past week and doing the story on him, several players saying that they still miss him. They still miss you know, his infectious attitude, his personality, his incredible positivity, and he's a really good player. So I, I think Willie Adamas uh, should hopefully get a warm welcome back and, and uh, not just from the players, but from the fans. And Mike Brasso, I mean, arguably, as Kevin Cash said, maybe the most electric moment he'd ever been a part of uh, on the field for Kevin Cash when Mike Brasso hit the homer off Chapman in the playoffs in 2020, shortly after having Chapman throw at his head at Yankee Stadium, you know, September 1st. And then the Rays go on and eliminate the Yankees in that best of five playoff round played out in San Diego. So two guys that will be welcome back. Hunter Renfro just went on the injured list. Uh, Hobie Milner, who actually was kind of a bit player with the Rays as a reliever, playing a really big role 
for the Brewers. Ozzie Timmons, the longtime Rays hitting coach and minor league coach, is with the Brewers now. Matt Arnold's the general manager. In fact, I talked to Matt Arnold, uh, Steve, and he said that one day in spring training, somebody looked around and said, what are we having, a Rays organizational meeting here? So <laughs> definitely a big Rays influence over there. And then, look, Craig Council, who is their manager, was on the Rays shortlist for manager candidates when they ended up hiring Kevin Cash. I think you could say both teams ended up pretty good choices in that regard as well. Well, and that Adamas trade, too, that is the that is a perfect example of a win-win trade because, as, as well as you said, the Rays did and with Rasmussen and FireEisen, and it made room for Wander Franco, ultimately. Willie Adamas has thrived in Milwaukee, and, and all the talk that he couldn't hit at the trop and struggled there. He goes to Milwaukee as a new home park, and he took off and really helped that team to the playoffs last season. No doubt, and, and, and was a big part of that turnaround there. And, and I sound like Rick Stroud here, name-dropping every left and right, but talking to Derek Shelton the other day, the Pirates manager, <laughs> he said that uh, when they played the Brewers the first part of last year, they were an okay team. And Derek obviously knew Willie a little bit from his time with the Rays and heard of him certainly from even after he left. And He said when they played the Brewers later in the season last year after the trade, it was a noticeably different team. He said on the field, you know, just in the dugout from what they heard in the clubhouse. He said it was just incredible how much impact Willie Adamas made. And, and talking to Matt Arnold, the GM, like I said, he, he first thing he said, talking about getting your money quote at the start of an interview, I asked about Willie Adamas. He goes, well, you can just say he's the heartbeat of our team. I mean, that was pretty much all you needed to hear to know how much impact Willie Adamas is still having with the Brewers. So you're absolutely right, Steve. A rare example in the game today where it was a win-win trade. It wasn't about shifting salary. It wasn't about service time manipulation. It wasn't about, you know, dumping guys. It wasn't about failed prospects and trying to get someone to cover up your mistakes. This was a trade where the Rays knew they had a surplus at shortstop. They were looking for a trade partner. The Brewers had some extra pitching. The Rays needed some pitching. It lined up perfectly. And and both teams, I I would think, would say they would do the same exact deal again today, tomorrow, and probably any other time. Well, let's get to the current Rays team then, and we'll talk about a couple acquisitions that they've made for this season that's doing really well. Who had Isak Paredes as being the first Ray to have home runs in four straight at-bats in this franchise history? Who, who had Isak Paredes leading the team in home runs on June 26th? <laughs> well, who had Isak Paredes having 10 homers and Austin Meadows having no homers? I mean, there's so many things you could say about this trade, and Here's the interesting part to me is you go back to and, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. So I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, I wrote as many stories about this as anyone else did or talked about it as much. But when that trade was made, the initial thought, the initial reaction was, what are they doing trading Austin Meadows? He was an all star for them. He led them in home runs last year. Key guy. Why are they trading Austin Meadows? Then the next level of it was, OK, they're kind of clearing a path for Josh Lowe. We kind of <laughs> excuse me, we kind of see what they're doing here. They're opening a path for Josh Lowe. They want him on the opening day roster. He was AAA MVP last year. He's ready to go. He's going to be a key guy. That's why they did it. And then almost like the third level was, well, what'd they get back? Oh, yeah, they got a draft pick, and they got this guy, Isak Paredes. He played a little bit for the Tigers. Somebody along the way in the organization told me he's kind of like a future Yandy Diaz. You know, we could see him playing the Yandy role down the road. And Okay, cool. And now you, you kind of flip everything around here. And the biggest part of that trade, the most impactful part of it, has been having Isak Paredes. Josh Lowe kind of washed out a little bit, had to go back to Durham and reset. Now he's back and, and still trying to find his footing in the big leagues. Austin Meadows, he had some illness issues, but has had a miserable year so far in Detroit. No home runs. He got off to a good start, and that's been about it. And, you know, who knows about the draft pick? We'll come back in three years or five years. We'll talk about that. But Isak Paredes, 
one of those impactful players the Rays have had over the last month or so, and and obviously the last week, just remarkable. It really is. And who's leading the team pretty much in batting average at this point is Harold Ramirez, who had that one. Yeah, again, they went out. They were doing some big game hunting during spring training. They were in on Suzuki, who ended up signing with the Cubs. Obviously a left-handed hitter, but they were in on Freddie Freeman. They were trying to find that big impact bat, and they kind of got a little bit later in spring training and thought let's they better make a move just to get somebody. They preferred a right-handed bat. They wanted a guy who could play first base. They didn't know Harold Ramirez had even played first base in Columbia. Turned out he had. Uh, and a guy who's just been Mr. Clutch for them and, and really good at pinch hitting. I think he's 7 for 15 as a pinch hitter. It's really hard. As Kevin Cash said, put it this way, and Kevin Cash knows about how hard it is to hit in the big leagues. Look at his own career, and, and he admits that himself all the time. But he said it's really hard to hit in the big leagues when you get to play all the time. It's a lot harder to hit in the big leagues when you don't play all the time and you don't know when you're going to get in there. And when you do get in there, you're often against a really good reliever in a really high-pressure situation. And Harold Ramirez has handled all that and come through remarkably well. I think he's been one of their most pleasant acquisitions and at a low cost. They traded up kind of a fringy 4A player for him, a guy who wasn't going to be in their plans. And, and here they are with Harold Ramirez being a big part of the success they have had to this point. You mentioned Josh Lowe, and we can get into him. Uh, you know, the Rays, much like the Willie Adamas trade, trying to make room for Wander Franco. They traded Austin Meadows to make room in that outfield for Josh Lowe. They've Eric Neander and company have talked about he's an all-star caliber outfielder. Um, hasn't found his way yet, but then again, it's early. And, and many players in their career struggle when they first come up and have to be sent down. But what do you see from Josh Lowe so far this season, and what impact can he make in the second half of the season? I mean, he's very confident. He's got a lot of skill, obviously. We've seen it translate at the AAA level. And, and usually, if you're really good at the AAA level, for, <laughs> excuse me, for the most part, you're going to be good at the big league level. It takes some guys longer than others. I think with Josh, part of the problem has been the number of strikeouts. That's been a level of concern at the big league level. When they sent him back to AAA, they gave him a few things to work on. Uh, he was actually very um, candid the other day when he came back up and said once he got down there and kind of reset and worked with the coaches down there again, and they all looked at some video, it, it kind of became obvious there was a mechanical flaw. He had, like His hips had gotten out of whack a little bit, which then he was swinging up instead of swinging straight at some pitches and swinging under them, striking out more often. So... It kind of all made sense. I don't know that he's clicked it in yet at the big league level, but he's a player who also can be really streaky, and I think when he does get hot, the Rays expect him to make up for some of this lost ground. But a supreme physical talent, big, tall, fast, uh, athletic, strong arm, can play all three outfield positions. You saw him play center yesterday with Kiermaier out and Brett Phillips not hitting real well at this point. So you know, I think you're going to see Josh Lowe be a big part of this. I think they still plan for him to play pretty much on an everyday basis, and now look, Steve, when they sent him down the first time, it was tough because the, one of the things the Rays try to pride themselves on is being right about when their prospects are ready and not sending a guy back because they know there's a, a confidence and a mental aspect of that, of being sent back down after you're pronounced as being ready. You're, you're here. You're the guy. And now you're being sent back three and a half weeks later, which he was, and sent down there for a month or so. It's only happened a handful of times that I could think of with players uh, and a couple of times with pitchers, which is a little different breed. So. I, I think there's a little bit of pressure in a way on Josh Lowe to kind of make sure it works this time. And, and I think they're going to have probably even more patience with him, but also knowing that, you know, sending him down a second time would really be a crushing blow. I remember one of those players that they sent down after proclaiming them ready was Willie Adamas, who we talked about earlier in this podcast, who's, you know, gone on to do great things. So he had to get sent down what, three weeks into his first stint with the Rays mm -hmm. too. So, yep, no doubt. And, 
Look, even as, as I know people were like hot button on this when it happened, but you go back to last June, Wander Franco had that great debut. And then after like two weeks, Wander Franco was hitting 180 something. And even somebody with the team, I don't, I won't say who, but came up to me and was like, really? It's a headline that Wander Franco is hitting under 200. And I was like, you guys have hyped him up for two years. You've been told he's the best player in the history of players. Like he, he's hitting 180 after two weeks of the big leagues. Yeah. That does seem like it's newsworthy. And, And look, they were right. Wander Franco was a really good player, but I think that was a great example of how it does take players some time to get readjusted. And, and you know, I, I would have to think that somebody in that organization at some point was saying, you know, should we send him back down? Does it, you know, give him a couple more weeks? Do we need to kind of get him reset a little bit here? Because having Wander Franco going up to the board with a 180 on, on the scoreboard is probably something that hadn't happened very often, if ever, in his career. No doubt about that. So let's talk about Wander Franco. He's uh, most of the season had problems with his quad. Uh, he's been, you know, in, in and out of the lineup. They finally put him on the IL a few weeks ago. Now he's back as of Sunday. Uh, how does he look uh, back so far? And, you know, what can we expect this season from him? Well, I think what I took out of his comments uh, most when he came back on Sunday, Steve, was that he said he's going to put more of an emphasis or needs to put more of an emphasis on pregame work and his conditioning and things like that. And, And just the fact that it has to become part of his routine. I think, you know, it's, it's a long time for me to say this, but when you're 21 and you're really good at something, you, you kind of think it just comes naturally, right? And you wake up, you come to the ball field, you do what you're supposed to do, and you go out and play, and you're really good at it. And it's not that he's not doing the work he was supposed to, but I think it takes extra work at this level, the travel, the late nights, the playing on turf, just the demands of playing at the highest level every time you're on the field. So I think there's a lot of things that Wander Franco can do really well naturally, but also has to put a little bit more into that pregame prep, whether it's more stretching. You know, he he came in and, and Cash had noted, you know, he was how well-built he was. And, and maybe, you know, you're almost too tightly wound. I mean, it's never a problem I've had. You're too muscular. You're too <laughs> slim. Your muscle, your body fat is too low. Uh, but, you know, the beating that you take, especially playing on the turf, I know people say he stands on the dirt. Why the turf? But this trop is built on a cement pad. Uh, it's a little bit harder surface at all levels than it is for some other ball fields. So I, I think all that takes a toll. And I'm sure they're going to watch Wander carefully here. They go from here to Toronto, where they also will be playing on turf. They have five games in four days because of the schedule being redone after the lockout. So I, I would imagine Wander Franco is going to get a day off here and there, especially these first couple weeks back. And you mentioned about the the coming in and, and maybe being too shape or built or whatever. With the lockout this offseason – And and I probably will know more in a year or two as we look back. But how many injuries like have resulted from either too much working out, not enough working out, not the right type? Because for three and a half months, the teams had no contact with their players. Oh, I, I think there's no doubt. That's why you're seeing this incredible list of injuries. And it's not just the Rays. I mean, you mm -hmm. you tend to be more you know obviously aware and cognizant of what's going on with the team that you cover or if you live in the area or if you're a fan of or your family's a fan of, whatever. But, I mean, you look around baseball and, and every team, and some of it's freak stuff. I mean, Bryce Harper getting hit by Blake Snell's fastball the other night had nothing to do with conditioning. But you, you look at the list of star players that are out, and a lot of these things have been soft tissue issues, have been muscle pulls, have been strains. You know, Manny Margot popping his patella tendon, jumping for a fly ball the other night. No, that was a freak issue at the moment. But Manny Margot being on the injured list earlier this season because of a hamstring pull, you got to think that was related to just the offseason. It was a, you know, some guys are very regimented. Some guys have very specific workout routines, very keyed to the calendar. 
you know, so the, the latest spring training, I'm sure, created some questions. Teams were not supposed to have any contact, even strength and conditioning coaches. Only guys on the injured list, could they could speak to the team basically through an intermediary. Like if they had a private PT or trainer, they could call the team and talk to them that way. So there were probably some rules that were part of that that MLB should rethink should they ever get in that situation again, too. Because it costs everybody money and pain when you have star players on the injured list. And I think there's just no question this is a result of the lockout. And even when they resumed, even the guys that took care of themselves during the lockout, it was an accelerated spring. Uh, you had guys that you know knew they were going to be on teams that probably took their time to get ready. You had guys trying to make teams that were in a really intense mode without the normal amount of buildup that they normally would have. So it, it messed everybody's schedule up and, and really a third straight year you know, of, of a season being impacted as a result of, of something, a pandemic the first two years, and then this year, obviously, with the lockout uh, causing the delay to spring training, and, and even how the schedule is being played. I mean, look at the Rays September. They go back to Toronto in what already was a rigorous September, and they have another five games in four-day stretch when they go back because they had to make up a whole lost series. They were supposed to open the season at Boston and Toronto, so the Boston series got tacked on at the end, but the Toronto series was basically intermingled into what they already had. I mean, some teams have it worse. The Yankees are going to go to Houston one day at the at the end of the All-Star break, lose a day of their All-Star break, and play a doubleheader. Uh, so the Rays could have had that type of situation. At least they had a divisional team that they had to force these games into so they could make them up on their two subsequent trips. Yeah, the schedule this year, it's going to be interesting when we get, you know, when the Rays are getting their first chance at a five-game doubleheader or five-game series with a doubleheader this year. They're going to have two of them in Toronto. Uh, speaking of Toronto, you mentioned in your Rays tales that with the vaccine regulations in Canada, the Rays may be without a couple players this weekend. Do we know who that might be and how that's going to impact the team? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it's it's known yet. <laughs> Excuse me. It's obviously known to the team. I have some suspicions or, or some guesses. Uh, but I think what we'll see is after Wednesday's game, uh, after today's game, Wednesday's game, or certainly Thursday morning, they'll announce that a couple of players have been placed on the restricted list. They don't get paid for the games they miss. Uh, and then players can be called up to replace them. They don't have to be – basically, you can call somebody up who's in your organization. They don't have to be on the 40-man roster. You can put them on essentially for these couple of games and then send them back down. You don't burn an option. You don't burn – so the rules are kind of changed a little bit to accommodate this. But, look, it happens with – just about every team has had this issue. Not all. Uh, and, and it's a personal choice that the players made for some, it, they say it's medical or, or religious reasons that guys have their different reasons for not getting the vaccine. But it was very clear to everybody going into the season that to go to Toronto, you were going to have to be vaccinated and there's going to be impact on the teams who are missing key players. All right. Well, the Rays have always been a team built on pitching and defense. The defense this year has struggled. They've given up uh, going into Tuesday's game, 46 unearned runs this season. I believe all of last season they gave up 56 of them. So what has changed? What has gone on with the Rays' defense? And it's amazing they kind of still keep winning with the bats being cold and the defense not performing the way it's usually done. But pitching's been really good. But what, what's going on with the defense? Yeah, the pitching's been great, Steve. And that's one thing that probably has gotten lost in this a little bit because it's, it's easier and, and often more relevant to focus on you know, the defensive mistakes, the base running mistakes, the lack of offense, the number of games they'll go without scoring more than a couple runs. But the pitching has been consistently good. In fact, they went into this Milwaukee series having played 12 straight games separated by two or one run. And while they haven't won the majority of those, 
the fact that they've been in those games, a credit to the pitching. The fact, the job they did against the Yankees, they lost all three games in New York, but what they gave up, eight runs total, and I think only three earned runs. So, mm-hmm. the, again, the pitching has been really good for an extended period of time here. You go back to the defense, I, I think it's a mystifying question because I see them putting in the work. I don't, they're not not doing the work that they used to do. They still have really talented players. I mean, you know, we've heard Taylor Walls was considered one of the best defensive players uh, was considered in the minor leagues and even in the major leagues when he came up last year, uh, he had some really good numbers from some of the defensive metrics. You know, we've seen G-Man Choi be a really good uh, first baseman. Obviously, they have been missing Brandon Lau at second base, but the guys filling in have seemed to be okay. Yandy Diaz, I think, has been playing pretty good defense at third. We've seen some weird mistakes in the outfield. They had that stretch where three days in a row, an outfielder dropped fly ball and, and really good players, Kiermaier Phillips and Margot. I mean, guys that are uh, considered amongst the best defensive outfielders in the game. So it's been some weird stuff. I, I don't know that there is an answer. I did talk to Kiermaier about it. I, I kind of consider him the minister of defense, given his expertise and the gold gloves on his shelf at home. And his one thought was maybe like a, a focus thing and almost like going down to the pre-pitch focus routine and of making sure everybody's anticipating what might happen, thinking through what are you going to do. And, and and I don't know if that's true or not. Nobody else seemed to necessarily jump on that as the cause of this. Uh, you know, you do see they have the information cards. You'll see the guys, especially the outfielders, look at them at times, tells them where to position themselves. We do know the Rays shift heavily. We see them use the four-man outfield a little bit more, even the four-and-a-half-man outfield more uh, this past weekend a couple times. So, there's always a lot going on pre-pitch uh, with the Rays and, and many other teams as well. So I don't know if that's the cause of it. I thought it was interesting that Kiermaier threw that out there. But it's kind of inexplicable, and it doesn't seem like it should be that there's any real reason for it. I mean, the guy, like I said, they're still doing the work. They're still really good players. So why are they not catching the ball? Why are they not making the plays? It's got to be, as Kevin Cash likes to say, head-scratching. Well, one of the other things that's head-scratching on this team and has been for many years is base running. It, it's uh, And I've said this many times. As well as they do almost everything in this franchise, from pitching to making hitters better than most people think they can be, to the game planning, the shifting, everything else. The base running, they run themselves into, it seems like, more outs every year than most teams do or should. Um, is there a reason for that? Is it just too aggressive? Is it, I mean, you know, what, what is the cause for the amount of outs that they get on the base pass? Yeah, excessive this year, for sure. I think as we sit here and talk about this, they lead the majors in caught stealings, and they lead the majors in what baseball reference called outs on the bases, OOB, which is everything kind of but caught stealing. It's it's trying to take an extra base. It's trying to tag up. It's things like that where you're trying to gain an extra base and not being able to take it successfully. Uh, then, like I said, caught stealings and pickoffs are in the other category. And they're, they've got both, so they're, they're covered either way. Uh, I, I think it's a mix between... Uh, they foster a culture of aggressiveness. They encourage their players to be aggressive. And there's, there's a liberal attitude. A lot of guys have the green light. And I, and I think they trust the players to make the right decisions. And I think you have some players who are making bad decisions. Randy Rosarena, I know he had the big play in Sunday's game where the reversal made him safe. And that led to the G-Man choice hit, which led to the key run. But Randy Rosarena himself is responsible for about a third of those outs in both categories. And obviously way too high. Is he trying to do too much? Is he trying to make up for his lesser numbers offensively? Is he trying to find something to get himself going, find the team going. I mean, you can throw all those theories out there. You talk to Randy, he said it's just it's a play-by-play thing. There's no theme, there's no pattern, there's no strategy to it. He's just trying to be, you know, take advantage of whatever situation is presented to him and do the best he can. But, you know, do you want to rein that in? I mean, you, you do see times where that aggressiveness helps them. But, you know, they've run into some outs. There was another out on Sunday where G-Man Choi was held up at third uh, and 
uh, who's a Ramirez, didn't see him stop, and he ran into an out. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's an answer there. I mean, Chris Prieto was hired this year to be the outfield and base running coach, and I think they thought that there would be some impact, and, and he's working through with some of these guys and trying to connect with them and maybe try to kind of get inside their head a little bit and see what they're thinking. But, you know, there's some young players too. Vidal Brujan has been caught a couple times despite his great speed. He's a young guy. You, know, you give him a green light. I know Cash even said the other night Brujan had the big steal of third, but he, he was red light through the first hitter. And then green light. So maybe it's taking the coaching staff, bringing these guys in a little bit too. Well, let's get to the pitching. And I don't want to say one of the surprises of the season, but Shane McClanahan kind of became the de facto ace on this staff with Tyler Glass now being injured and out till at least late this season. And sometimes when you get thrust in those positions, I think the mental aspect of the game can can be a, a, an issue at times where you almost feel too much pressure. You're taking on that. You think you have to be perfect every time. Well, Shane McClanahan's been close to that pretty much all season long, hasn't he? He's been amazing. I mean, there's really no other word for it. He's definitely going to be on the all-star team. I, you could make a case he should probably start the all-star game, although with Dusty Baker, the managing, and Justin Verlander having a good year too, I'm guessing he'll be the starter. But Shane McClanahan leads the majors in strikeouts. He leads the majors – in uh, opponent's batting average, he's been remarkably consistent. I mean, go go back there through his game log and find a bad start. He's had a couple that were just okay, and those are the ones you have to say are the quote-unquote bad ones. And uh, he, he does it seemingly with ease. I mean, he's got a incredible arsenal. You talk to managers and hitters with the other teams, and they just tell you you don't see the combination of a lefty with a high-velocity fastball that can hit triple digits and a four-pitch mix. I mean, Blake Snell had a similar amount of weapons, but Shane McClanahan's weapons are more effective. And Blake Snell was a really good pitcher for the Rays for a number of years and won one of those Cy Young Award things. So I think Shane McClanahan is, is got, you know, with good health, obviously, he's got to stay healthy. Uh, but the uh, just the talent he has, the ability he has, and it, it makes for boring interviews, but I give him credit for his consistency, Steve, because whenever we talk to him, he will not take any of the plaudits, and he basically just says he's constantly still learning. There's always things he thinks he has to get better at, uh, and he'll pick things out from each game and, and talk about what he's trying to do better, whether it's you know not make him not let up with two strikes, not give up a two strike hit, finish a guy off, be more efficient, you know, not worry about the strikeouts and try to get quicker outs, our outs quicker in counts. So he's very driven, he's very focused, and you know if that if that makes for dry interviews, that makes for dry interviews. But he's done really well on the field. Well, from one young pitcher to a veteran who's played very well for the Rays, Corey Kluber is having a really good year. He is, and, and I know Cash was asked the other day, you know, what do you think you've gotten what you would have expected out of Kluber? And he said probably more because he stayed healthy. He's made every start. Like he had two bad starts. He had the one in Anaheim where I think he gave up 11 hits. He had one in Baltimore where he only lasted three innings or so. And really kind of take those two out of there. I know you can't, but take those out of there. And his ERA is, what, low twos, I think, at this point with a winning record. So. Quickly, we very consistent. I mean, the Rays have been careful. You, know, you only see him going five or six innings each time. I think that was part of the plan. He had an, you know three straight injury-abbreviated seasons uh, coming off of them, including last year with the Yankees. He had the no-hitter. Then he served over a month on the IL with some shoulder issues. So I think the Rays and his you know kind of agreement was, let's try to get through this season, keep him healthy so he can help them throughout the year. And then, you know, if they get to the playoffs, you know, and they need to turn him loose a little bit, fine. But I think the goal is to keep him healthy and pitching well. And right now they've done both of those. And here we are getting close to the halfway point. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, a guy that we necessarily didn't expect to see in the starting role, but has played very well, is Jeffrey Springs. Yeah, and who would have, you know, we talked about Harold, who would have pegged Isak Paredes to lead the team in homers? Who would have pegged Harold Ramirez to be one of their top hitters? Who would have pegged Jeffrey Springs to be one of their top starters? The guy was a middle reliever last year, not really a high leverage kind of guy. Got some opportunities, hurt his knee, chasing a, a bunt or a slow roll down the third baseline. They thought he'd come back, ended up needing knee surgery. I don't think anybody was even 100% sure, you know, how effective would he be at the start of the year. Slid back in that relief role. They started stretching him out to two, three innings at a time. And a team that normally is deep in starting pitching needed some starting pitching. I mean, it was a very unusual position. The Rays didn't really have a lot of options at Triple A. Tommy Romero got a call up, didn't look ready. Uh, but the injuries kind of caught up with them. Patino got hurt earlier in the year. Yarbrough missed the start of the year. So they were down a couple arms. They needed somebody to jump into that rotation. And suddenly those three-inning Jeffrey Springs relief appearances, next one became like a four-plus-inning start. And you, know, you go back to, I think it was May 9th when he joined the rotation. And the last two haven't been as good, duly noted. But what a, what a pleasant surprise and what a key member of the rotation he's turned out to be for a guy, like I said, they weren't even sure where his role in the bullpen was going to be. Let's go through some of the injured guys before we let you go here. We got a mailbag question last week asking about Mike Zanino having thoracic outlet syndrome, which we hear on pitchers a lot more, but how many position players actually have this, and what's his uh, prognosis? Yeah, it's it's not as common on position players. You're absolutely right. Good observation uh, by the reader or the listener. And and I think what you're going to see is he got a shot last week. It's a kind of a Botox regimen. Again, I would defer to Rick on you know anything to do with health and beauty. But... Uh, <laughs> I think the plan was he was going to need about a week, a week and a half to kind of see what impact the shot had. The idea is it alleviates the symptoms. It creates you know some space and takes some of the pressure off where the bone is kind of clamping down on the nerves, which is what caused the tingling in the arm, which was the whole, you know, that led to the symptoms here that led to the diagnosis. I don't know if the Rays are even fully sure it is TOS, but that's kind of the operating theory. They ruled out a couple other things. He's had a couple MRIs. So, I would think by the end of this week, we should have a little better read on Zanino and, and whether this did help. And, you know, I, they're hoping he'd be able to come back and play through it and, and at least get back on the field and see how he feels. Um, so I, that's probably the biggest unknown at this point. Like I said, or I think we said earlier, Brandon Lau seems to be doing a little bit better. He um, was shut down initially. He had the stress reaction in his back, which is almost a little bit like a stress fracture in some of the vertebrae or the the potential for a stress fracture in the vertebra. So he was shut down, uh, started back up, needed another couple days off. Now he's been swinging again. I know he told Neil Solons he was going to start taking batting practice this week. Obviously a good sign. But look, you know, Brandon Lau is a, a, a guy whose whole swing, it's a very, very violent swing, a lot of torque. And I would think with a lower back issue, that's probably something you really got to take your time on and, and be careful and hit every step along the way. You have the progressions to make sure you're not going to have a recurrence of that. But him... Having him back would obviously play a huge difference in that lineup. What about, we know Manuel Margot is going to be out for maybe the rest of the season, maybe late the season, and then Kevin Kiermaier, what's he looking like? 
Yeah, he should be back on this coming road trip. They leave uh, after Wednesday's game. They leave for, uh, it's 10, let's see, it's five games in four days, and then it's six other games. So that would be 12 games on that road trip, I think. Uh, it's a pretty long trip. They go to Toronto. They go to Boston. I'm sorry, it'll be 11 games. They go to yep. Toronto, Boston, then they have a day off, and they go to Cincinnati. So it's a pretty long trip. I think Kiermaier will return at some point during that trip. Uh, he he got an injection cortisone shot in his hip. Hasn't really done much yet. He'll start moving around early this week. I would assume he'll go with the Rays to Toronto and, and maybe be active by the end of the week or by the time they get to Boston. Luis Patino is uh, rehabbing now, I believe, or at least uh, making some minor league appearances. Is that correct? Yeah, he's on his – I think he's made three rehab starts for Durham now. I think the plan is to try to get him to five starts, but they will need an extra starter on Saturday because of the doubleheader. So even if Rasmussen goes back in the rotation you know, Thursday or Friday or even the first game Saturday, they'll need somebody else to pitch on Saturday, whether they – you know, it wouldn't be a typical raise move, but maybe he instead of making that fourth rehab start at Durham, he comes up and pitches his four or five innings for the raise and then goes back and, you know, gets that last one in where they try to stretch him back out to, you know, 90 pitches or something. But maybe he comes up. Uh, Yarborough could be another option for them, but they're going to have to figure out how to cover that. But I do think Patino is on the comeback trail and the reports on him throwing seem to have been good, too. A couple of relievers. We know Andrew Kittredge is down. That's a big loss in that bullpen, although the bullpen's been very good this year. What about, like, Pete Fairbanks? And, you know, a name we all forget about is Nick Anderson, who was so good back in, in 2020, particularly during the regular season. Uh, what's he Yeah, I think like? Pete Fairbanks is definitely going to be the first of those relievers to come back. He also was supposed to start throwing batting practice this week uh, in Port Charlotte. I think he had a early week. He had one earlier in the week, and then he was going to have an appearance in the Florida Complex League on Thursday, which is kind of the old Gulf Coast League. And then... If that goes well, he'll go to Durham. Usually relievers are a shorter protocol, maybe a week or two uh, before they're ready to go. So I think you could see Pete Fairbanks right around. You know, we're getting to kind of where that all-star break is going to become the marker for things. You know, is he back before or after? Uh, so I think probably right around there mid-July, maybe even a little earlier for Pete Fairbanks. Nick Anderson's just been a stop and go on his rehab. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. He said there's some days it comes out, it feels good, the velocity is really good. There's other days where it doesn't feel... Uh, all that great. He went to see uh, Dr. Meister the other day who did the Anderson had the interim step. He didn't do the Tommy John surgery. He had the brace put in, which is kind of a collagen strip that strengthens the ligament. He had a partial tear and it, it kind of promotes healing. Uh, so he went back and got checked by Dr. Meister who told him everything was good. He can resume throwing. Uh, so maybe that was kind of the confidence thing he needed to kind of just cut it loose and let it go and realize he's not in jeopardy of further injury. But he seems a little bit longer away. I think Fairbanks is the guy you're going to see back. And then the big question mark, the guy we haven't heard much about, and every time we get asked, uh, Cash just says there's no update, is Fire Eisen. I mean, that was, you know, we talked about mm -hmm. him at the top of the show, the guy they got from the Brewers with Rasmussen in the Willie Adamas trade. And, you know, he was such a big part of this. And when Kittredge started having some issues and that ended up being hurt, Fire Eisen had kind of become their key guy, that kind of high leverage guy. Jason Adam and Colin Poche have stepped into that role now, kind of the righty lefty duo. But, I think having J.P. Fireisen back and being able to insert him back at the back end of that bullpen will make a huge difference when that happens. He is Mark Topkin. He covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. You read him every day in the Tampa Bay Times. And, Mark, thank you so much. And uh, have a great, uh, what, what we said, 11-game, 11 11-day 11 road trip, whatever it is there. Yeah, I can't, I can't even do the math anymore, Steve. But, uh, anyway, you can hold down the ship while Rick's gone. And good talking to you anytime. 
Hey, if you're in need of some air conditioning work or just need a tune-up on your current system, don't forget to call our friends at Air Rescue, the air conditioning experts. They're at 813-612-5600, or you can go to airrescueflorida.com to schedule an appointment. Tomorrow's podcast, we're going to have Joey Knight on to talk a little about a Bucks football. We are less than one month away from training camps. Hard to believe the Lightning just ended their season on Sunday night, and now we're less than a month away from training camp for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady's back. Rob Gronkowski's not. The defense looks good. Todd Bowles now at the helm. What does all this mean? We'll discuss it tomorrow with Joey Knight on the podcast. For the Vacationing Rick Stroud, I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. 